0: Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Whenever Jesus came into this world, a lot of people were waiting on him to come. And as they were waiting on him to come, they were putting together the pieces, uh, the Old Testament pieces. And... uh, What I'd like to do is read a few verses from Matthew 1, which is one of those passages that you and I flip over all the time whenever we come to them, the genealogies. But they were very important to Jewish people, um, especially related to the coming of the Messiah. And since Matthew is the gospel of the Jews, uh, that's his thrust. His thrust is to show the Jews how Jesus is going to come into the world and through what, what lines He is coming. So in verse number one, we have this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Before he lists the genealogies, he, he puts a title there. He said, now this is all about Jesus, this genealogy. And... Uh, It's about Jesus being connected to the son of David and also the son of Abraham. As I was reading through the book of Matthew, I found that the son of David is used ten times in Matthew. Uh, It's a Messianic title. It's the title that people used whenever they were thinking of the Messiah. And then we go into the next verse, which is the verse that you usually stop on and flip a page. Abraham begot or fathered Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. It's interesting, in verse number 2, we have Judah there, because that's the tribe through which Jesus would come. Now, if you look with me over in verse 16, And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, this verse doesn't say that Joseph fathered Jesus. Uh, This verse is different than the other verses in the genealogy. It simply says that Jacob fathered Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Now, whenever the, the Jewish people were putting the puzzles together, there were a number of big pieces to the puzzle. Lots of little ones, some big ones. Uh, they were looking for a Savior who would be human and not an angel. And remember, we, uh, we saw that all the way back as early as Genesis 3.15. In the fall, the Lord came against the devil and said, Listen, uh, I'm going to create enmity between you and the woman. There's always going to be war here. And between your seed and her seed... And then, and then he says, he shall bruise your head. And so they were looking for uh, a Savior who would be human from the seed of the woman. They were also looking uh, for a Jew and not a Gentile. Because in Genesis chapter 12, remember we have there the um, what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. And in the, in the crux of the Abrahamic covenant, we have this statement. Uh, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, the Jewish hope of the coming Messiah uh, was a hope for the world. And so here they took took another big piece of the puzzle, which is uh, Genesis 12, and they put it together with uh, Genesis 3. And so there's two big pieces. And then you'll notice in verse number two, it talks about the tribe of Judah. And in Genesis 49, remember, the scripture says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The people knew that uh, Jesus was to be the Messiah. Of course, was to be born through uh, the tribe of Judah. And these are big pieces, and these are these are things that that, that are like foundational. And then they also knew that that this baby who was described in Isaiah 9-6, would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7-14. You're familiar with that. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, of course, God with us. And then we talked a little bit in the last few weeks about the place of his birth, which is Bethlehem, Judea. And that's Micah 5-2. So these are the big pieces Right here, and so whenever the uh, Hebrew scholars were studying the Old Testament, and uh, and and then as the message went out in New Testament times, uh, people would come to the genealogies, which we don't like and we don't understand, and uh, they were they were one of the big proofs that Jesus Jesus of Nazareth was to be the Messiah of the world, and so we have first of all today the proof of ancestry uh, they wanted to see that jesus really fitted the historical credentials of his claim uh, a big pursuit now in our society is ancestry.com right and if you've gone there uh, my son john has made a big study of our family roots i was afraid of what he was going to find you know when you do that you open yourself to, up to all kind of things Horse dealers and traders, and, and especially my parents were into horses. My dad. And uh, he's made this giant study, and it's, it's amazing. He said he's going to write a book. He has so much material on, on our family lives. And so many people are looking at that today. It's just interesting. But to these people, it was a matter of spirituality. The Messiah had to fit a prophetic profile... And, uh, and so it was imperative for the apostles of the church to be able to c- take this prophetic profile out and say, listen, this is the way they prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, let's go back to verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The word Jesus means the Lord is salvation. That's why he was named Jesus. The Lord is salvation. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one Savior, and that's Jesus. And then it's interesting that that this genealogy is prefaced uh, with these two big important characters. The first is the son of David, and the second is the son of Abraham. Now... uh, the Abrahamic Covenant and the Davidic Covenant. And so this would, this would automatically stimulate the mind of the Jew. Because this was like something that they relied upon. This is something they believed upon. And some of them even know about these things today still. Genesis 22.18, I think we have that. Uh, let's read this together. Your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed... Because you have obeyed my voice. Now, this is in addition to Genesis 12, right here. Um, He wants to draw to these people's attention the the Abrahamic covenant. And then he wanted also to draw to their attention this other messianic title, Son of David. And that's exactly the way it's phrased here in verse number 1. I went into my computer, I put Son of David into my Bible software. And it kicked it out. It's used ten times in the book of Matthew, the son of David. This takes me back in my thoughts to 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's a very interesting chapter of scripture. King David had, uh, had conquered most of his foes and he was living at rest and uh, actually living in the lap of luxury. And here he says, I'm this great, I live in this great house. And he looked out and he saw God living in a tent. I want to challenge you, I seldom do this. I want to challenge you to go home today and read second Samuel chapter seven. And David's looking around, he's looking about all the all the beauty of his own house and he looked out and the ark of God is in this tent. And so he's beginning to think, you know, this is just isn't right. This picture doesn't make much sense. God's dwelling a tent, I, I live in this fabulous house. And so he got this idea that he wanted to build a house for God. And so Nathan said, hey, why don't you go do that? And later God appeared to Nathan and said, hey, listen, slow down. I don't need a house right now. I've been doing pretty good in a tent. I've been leading the people out of, out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, I'm comfortable right now in this tent. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I don't want David to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for him. And it was another kind of a house. And we have the scripture here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Let's read it. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. The house that God wanted to build for David was a dynasty of kings. If you were to travel to Israel today and you would ask the average person over there, what's the great, who is the greatest king in Israel? They would say, David. Well, God says to, to David, listen, uh, in effect, listen, you are the greatest king. You have a heart after my heart. And I'm going to do something special for you and your house. And I'm going to establish a dynasty. And your throne shall be established for how long? Forever. And so the Jewish people knew that whenever the Messiah was to come, he was to be connected with the family of David. Uh, Israel was looking for a Jewish Messiah and a king. And the wise men came from the east, remember, and they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? He is also said, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to be born of the seed of woman. Uh, uh, Let's go back to verse 16 here. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Numbers of times in the Bible that uh, Jesus, uh, or Joseph and Mary in their engaged a spouse state were called husband and wife. Uh, uh, marriages were arranged in those days by individuals, by parents, and contracts were negotiated. And after that was accomplished, the individuals were considered married and they were called husband and wife. And so their engagement was different than ours. You know, in our engagement, you could like, you can get out of it. You can like be engaged for a while and say, hey, listen, I don't like being engaged. I don't think this thing's going to work. And uh, you can bail out with that. And all you have to do is like give the ring back or whatever it is and say, hey, listen, this thing is over. It's finished. Back in their culture. When after they, the parents had made these arrangements for this for this marriage, and they came together to be betrothed or engaged, uh, that was a binding contract, and had to, and, and the only way you could get out of that is by a certificate of divorcement. Now, uh, they uh, they began, they didn't begin to live together. The the woman lived with her parents. And the man with his parents for a period of one year. Uh, you know, it's a good thing for people to know each other for a period of time. You know that? Because sometimes people rush into marriage and they, they say, Oh man, I didn't know this person. Uh, I, I think the waiting period ought to be about six years, really. All right? That way you see every single every single flaw every you know that way you're going into it with your eyes wide open not closed well their waiting period though was 1 year and uh, and the reason why listen to this was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity concerning the bride now if she was found to be with child in that period she obviously had committed an uh, an infraction Uh, and would be involved in an unfaithful sexual relationship. Therefore, the marriage would be annulled. If, however, the one-year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march lead his bride back to his home. There they would begin their life together, husband and wife, and consummate their marriage. Now, this, whenever we open to the Christmas story... Uh, they were living in this one-year waiting period, and they were known as, as we'll see in a minute, uh, they were known as husband and wife, not only on earth but in heaven. Now Mary is found with child, as you know. And let's read on here. We're in Matthew chapter one, in verse 18 now. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows: After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, remember it was this waiting period. They had not consummated their their vows. And she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, this is Matthew talking here. He's giving us an inspired, accurate report. Then Joseph, her husband. Again, Matthew. Joseph, her husband. They were just engaged. They hadn't gotten through the waiting period. But they were known as husband and wife. Now, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly or privately. Uh, he, he said, listen, evidently, uh, this is not what I bargained for. Uh, I, I thought she was a virtuous person. Therefore, I, uh, I was engaged to her. And so now I found out that this is not the case. And so therefore, I'm going to divorce her. But I'm going to do it privately. I'm not going to make a big event out of it. I, want to, I just want to protect her in this way. And while he began to think, think about all of these things, uh, you'll see here that he needed angelic intervention. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, now I want you to notice this. Joseph, what's the next couple words? Son of what? David. The angel used that term also. Messianic title, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary, and again, he speaks in their customs, Mary your wife, uh, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I bet Joseph, Joseph really uh, was relieved here. He said, okay, that, that makes sense to me. He had a call into Edgar Snyder, that's his name, isn't it? He was getting ready to pay out some money for the divorce certificate and the angel said, "Listen, call this whole thing off. Everything is everything is the is the way it should be. Uh she is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will do what? Save his people from their sins." Well, uh this needed a An angelic touch right here. Uh, Angels are mentioned in the Bible 300 times. And it's interesting that there is a flurry of angelic activity right here around the birth of Christ. Remember, Gabriel came to Zechariah, and we talked about him earlier, and Elizabeth, and said, Listen, you're an old man, but God's answering your prayer, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be called John. Zacharias and Elizabeth were very happy. And then he came to, uh, to Joseph here. And then Gabriel also came to Mary and, uh, and explained to her what was going on because she didn't know exactly what was going on either. And then, and then whenever this family came together, and uh, another angel came and warned Mary and Joseph to get out of town and go to Egypt because Herod was going to kill the babies. And so angels were doing all kinds of things here related to the birth of Jesus. You know, angels are known as God's army. And I want to encourage you to make a little study of angels in the Bible. It's not hard. Their job was to praise God and carry out His commands. They are to minister to you and me today. And so I want to leave you with a couple parallel verses, and the first of which is Hebrews 1.14. Let's look at that. And let's read it, okay? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Now, this is in reference to angels. They're serving spirits, and they're sent forth to serve those of us who will inherit salvation. They are, in effect, our servants. I want you to keep this in mind. Angels are our servants. Uh, God answers many of our prayers... Uh, I think through angelic intervention. I've mentioned this at least once or twice other times. That every, every day, five days, at least five days a week, I pray for all my children by name and by need. I call out their name to the Lord and I call out their needs to the Lord. My children, my three sons... That's a story, isn't it? My three sons, their wives, and my six grandchildren. I call their name out before the Lord every day. And I ask ask the Lord to send them angels. To protect them, to guard them, to guide them, to instruct them. I do that almost every day. Uh, Because that's what this verse says. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth. And I guess we could put in parentheses, we could put in parentheses there by prayer for, for those who will inherit salvation. Uh, I believe in angels. And I believe that they're there for you and me. And so does God in the Bible. Because the next verse I'm going to show you, Hebrews 13:2, tells us to start watching out for them. Okay? Let's read it. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. I want you to be angelic conscious. You know, years ago we kind of coined the phrase soul conscious. Be soul conscious. Whenever you talk to somebody and you're talking about all the things that you're talking about, look beyond that. Look at their soul. Be soul conscious. Realizing that that God brings you into an environment with them uh, to touch their soul. Well, I want you to be angelic, angel conscious as well. And so here we have these angels. Uh, The next thing uh, this story talks about is the pleasure of adoration. leaf over to Matthew chapter 2, okay? And here we have the story. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this is the story that happened, we think, several years later after the manger scene. Uh, and uh, But in our culture, we put all both those scenes together and they make a nice nativity. Uh, we have created, we three kings of Ori and Ar, and uh, we don't know how many wise men there were. But uh, nonetheless, uh, sometime later, probably two years at least later, uh we find this story coming to fruition. Uh, These wise men from the east are coming into town, and they're trying to find out where the king of the Jews uh, would be born. They saw his star in the east. They are not kings. They are probably astrologers, people who study the stars. And they spotted this, this interesting star in the sky. The Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 4, God counts the number of the stars and calls them all by name. He has these things characterized and systematized. Uh, Herod the king. Now, here's King Herod, uh, probably one of the most wicked men who ever lived, was king in Jerusalem. And here these uh, wise men, came from the east and says, look, and we're, we're looking for the king who is born. And so in this part of the story, we have Herod who was opposing the king. Uh, he brought in the scribes, as you remember, and he said, listen, where is, uh, where is he supposed to be born? And, uh, and they spit it out just like that in Bethlehem of Judea, of Judea Bethlehem Ephrata. That's where he's going to be born. So Herod was opposing the king and he, he, he created this, uh, this lie. He said, now, if you, if you go and uh, I, I want you to come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too, right? Well, John eight forty four 44 describes Herod. Let's read it. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now here the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies and also a murderer. Now, Herod had all the qualities of satanic uh, influence in his life. He was a murderer. In fact... Uh, Augustus Caesar Augustus said it would be much safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, because Herod, Herod had a habit of killing his his relatives. He was a bad man, and so in this part of the story, Herod was opposing the king. The Jewish priests they were ignoring the king. Remember, they knew the scriptures, but they wouldn't go for themselves. They wouldn't make a five-mile journey to find the one of which was spoken of in the Scriptures. And they knew the Scriptures. Uh, They were engrossed in their temple rituals. They were happy in their religion. And they certainly weren't interested in what the wise men were were interested in. Uh, These wise men were probably astrologers. Uh, They were people from the East impacted by the dispersion of the Jews. Uh, They brought gifts to the king. Seneca said that in Parthia, it was a custom that no one could approach the king without a gift. Gold is the king of metals. It's fit for a king. And so they bring their gold. Frankincense is a gift for the priest. Frankincense was used in temple worship. Jesus is our high priest. And then there was myrrh. A gift for one who dies. And those three gifts, I think, are emblematic of who Jesus really is. He is indeed the King. Amen? Where is He who is born King of the Jews? He's not only King of the Jews, He's King of the world. He is King of kings and what? Lord of lords. And so, they bring this emblem. Gold. And then they bring frankincense. Uh, because they realized that he's the perfect priest. And then they bring myrrh because they also realized that he was going to die for the sins of the world. He is the true king, he is the perfect priest, and he is the perfect savior. Uh, They were waiting on Christmas. And it's been our joy in our church at this Christmas time to share this beautiful message, not only of the manger, but also of the cross. And here we have it all compacted in this one passage of Scripture. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I am always challenged when I see what the wise men brought to Jesus. They brought their gold. That speaks to me of the best of our life. I wish so many times that I had more to give to God. I wish that I could have another lifetime at least to give to God. I wish that after this lifetime was over that God would give me one more on earth. I know that won't happen, but it's an interesting, challenging thought to me. And I, I'm motivated in this life to give every, every ounce of my energy every ounce of my resources, every ounce of my, of my worship, those, those things energize me. They motivate me because, because He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For He created all things, and by His will they exist and were created. He is the worthy one. I want to encourage you on this last Sunday of this year uh, to purpose in this new year to give God the very best of your life. You know, we're pretty good at holding back. Let's, let's start being good at giving forth, rendering back to God what he's given to us, his, our time, our talent, our treasure, everything he's provided for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, and it's so inspirational to us, so motivational. We pray that you apply these words to our heart today in Jesus' name.